Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Today our our topic is stewardship. Stewardship, and I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 16. I'm going to read it and then we're going to pray. Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 1, right through to verse 13. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Verse 7, then he said to another, and how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray. Father, we present our faculties to you today. Our ability to speak, our ability to hear, our ability to understand, and our ability to obey. We pray that you would rule over every one of these aspects. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Now, we are on the brink of a landslide in the landscape of our spiritual history in this country. Notice, I said, spiritual history. You might say, oh yeah, that that sounds familiar to a statement that I heard this week made by our primary politician, our prime minister, David Cameron, who said, we are on the brink of a landslide in the landscape of our political history. That's true. And no one knows exactly what to make of our present hung parliament result. Yet, we, the voting electorate, have contributed to this very new political panorama, right? Not only do we have a new government, but we have a new coalition government. And we all fed into the process, didn't we? In some way, or not, whether we voted or whether we didn't vote. And now we have a a 23-member cabinet who are responsible for running our country. You want to talk about stewardship? 
However, new chancellor of the exchequer, known as the treasurer, right? And it's George Osborne. Now, George Osborne doesn't own 500 billion pounds. But you know what? He's responsible for it. Nick Clegg and David Cameron, they did not create, check it, they did not create the United Kingdom. Neither do they own it. But they will be running it. Why? Because they're stewards. And the question is, will they be faithful or unfaithful stewards? Well, only time will tell. And whether we love them or loathe them, whether we agree or disagree with them, we need to pray for them. Whether we voted for them or not. Stewardship. Now, how many of you would like to have that kind of responsibility? And when you begin to appreciate the gravity, that encourages you to, hey, you know, we really need to pray for these guys. Check it. Here's, here's, here's one of the good reasons why. When we think about the total UK spending in 2009, I don't know if you can see the graph, <clears throat> versus the, the UK public debt. Check it. In 2009, our spending was 620 billion. They project that in 2010, it's going to be 675 billion. And then, on the other hand, 2009, we were 800 billion pounds in debt. And then, they're projecting, sorry, that's supposed to be 2010, it's going to increase to 1,100 billion. Now, you can just obviously casting a casual eye at those figures for more reasons than one first timothy 2 says that we really need to pray for these men i read the news this morning that the coalition is already beginning to fracture <clears throat> now coming to our text providing a little bit of context before this in chapter 15 right the Lord Jesus had just told the story of a nameless young man who we have commonly called who? The prodigal son. And that's because in verse 13 of chapter 15, he had what? He had wasted all his money on prodigal living. The ESV says he had squandered his property on reckless living. We could call him the reckless son. And in this, we see an example of an unfaithful son or an unfaithful steward. And in the broader context, Jesus is speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, we see in chapter 15, verse 1. Because they had been given a great deal of responsibility and had been just as unfaithful, if not worse. Stewardship. And you see, whilst confronting the unfaithful politicians of Israel, the Lord Jesus takes opportunity to instruct his disciples in Luke chapter 16, which is where we are, verse 1, and he says to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. Now, how many of you know there always comes a day of reckoning? It's absolutely inescapable. Verse 2. So he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And then, not out loud, but in his mind, or in his thinking, verse 3, then the steward said within himself, Oh my gosh, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. He says, I cannot dig. That's because he's an administrator. 
he don't know nothing about hard labor. He says, I'm ashamed to beg. That means he's too proud. See, he's on levels. And he's not willing to stoop to such low degree. And he says, hmm. I know. Verse 4. I have resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, check it, they may receive me into their houses. Now the question is, who are the they? They is a reference to those he will approach when? In the future. Say with me, in the future. See, based on the fact that I've now lost my job, I've been put out of the stewardship, I know what I need to do. I need to preserve my future. Verse 5. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, Hey, how much do you owe my master? And he said, Boy, a hundred measures of oil, you know. And the steward's like, looking left to, the, left to right, is like, quick, sit down, take your bill, yeah, and half that. Write 50. I mean, the guy must have been greatly encouraged. He halved his bill, verse 7. Then he said to another, hey, you, what? Come here. What, what, what? Just come here, man. How much do you owe? And he said, boy, I owe 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him that, <laughs> he's probably, I don't know if it all happened at the same time. Maybe he's looking at the other guy thinking, yo, okay. I see what you've just done for my bridge in there or that other guy. I owe a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, all right, look, take your bill. And he's getting excited, right? Right, 80. Maybe he didn't like this guy very much. I don't know. Now watch the surprise in verse 8. So the master condemned the unjust steward. Does it say that? No, it doesn't say that. See, you see the surprise? This is, this is surprising. It says, <clears throat> so the master commended the unjust steward. Why? Because he had dealt shrewdly. Jesus goes on to say, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Unregenerate, unsaved, ungodly people have more sense sometimes than the children of light or are at least they're more consistent with their worldview they're more consistent with their worldview they say that is the unbelievers you know what this life is all that there is to life so, man's has got to do what a man's has got to do. If I got to do this to firm up my future standard, man's got to feed his kids, all nine of them. You know what I mean? Now that is being consistent with his worldview. Now Jesus isn't commending him for being immoral, for being unrighteous, evidently. But what? He is commending is that within the man's that within the man's framework, which is birth and death, that's his framework. Within his worldview, within his framework, he must invest in the years beyond his current employment or unemployment, as the case may be. For Jesus' disciples, what is their worldview? As Jesus' disciples, what is their time frame. As Jesus' disciples, what is our framework? Well, it's not birth to death, is it? It's birth beyond death. It's birth to eternal life. So Jesus' disciples need to be like this steward and think about future and you see and act 
in the present on that basis. See, don't be like the prodigal in the last chapter who didn't think about the future. He was reckless and he didn't think about what's going to happen when the 10 grand done. What's going to happen when the 10 grand finish? What's going to happen when the inheritance runs out, right? Come on now. He didn't think about that, did he? Otherwise, he wouldn't have ended up squandering it and ending up in the pig pen with nothing. Like, my, my dad's servants are better off than me. Well, how come? They, should, they shouldn't be. I mean, even if you had taken that and invested it, you'd have been a whole heap better off than you are now. Could have been living on the interest. But it wasn't, you see, the thing is he wasn't shrewd. The thing is he wasn't thinking about what? He wasn't thinking about the future. See, we got to be shrewder than that. And as for us in this generation, oh my gosh, we're the worst. We don't think past lunch. A lie? We are very materialistic. It's nothing for someone today to spend their whole month's pay on an outfit for one night. And then beg, steal, and borrow for the next three weeks. How many of you? <clears throat> how many of you say, oh me, or oh my? How many of you saw this this week in the evening standard? Bankers splash out sixty thousand pounds on bar bill after jackpot bet on election. They say, vast tab for booze won't make a dent in our winnings. The six men went to Mera nightclub in Fitzrovia, wherever that is, on Friday night and asked for the most expensive bottle of champagne, which happened to be a Methuselah of vintage crystal at 36,000 pounds a bottle. The six-liter vessel is the equivalent size of eight regular bottles. A source at the nightclub said they had made a small fortune on the outcome of the election, correctly guessing the results in constituencies over quite a large spread. When the Methuselah was delivered to their table, you notice how they use Bible terms for these big old bottles of liquor. <laughs> when the Methuselah was delivered to their table, the music was stopped and the group were chanting, down with brown, down with brown. <clears throat> and they followed it up, check it, with a Jeroboam of, of crystal at 5,000 pounds per bottle and a Methuselah of Dom Perignon, which was nine grand. Bottles of vodka, beers and shots brought the bill to just over 52,000 pounds with a service charge of nearly 8,000 pounds. There's the receipt. For nearly 8,000 pounds. <clears throat> Bringing the grand total to 60,000 pounds. See, that is the heartbeat of the culture in which we live. See, and then you have children rummaging around in a dump in, is it Accra? Looking for bits of scrap metal to sell. They've been working all day. And when they sell the scrap metal after burning the plastic off of it and inhaling all the toxic fumes in a dump, they get 15 pence for maybe a, a half kilogram of metal, scrap metal. Did anybody see that program this week? You saw it, fam. It was a lot. A lie? Was it, was it, it was Accra, innit? it? You know what I mean? Accra. See, as you can tell, I watched a bit of TV this week. I've got a good excuse. I've been convalescing, right? So allow me. Millions of children around the world, they have to walk over 10 miles in order to get to school. And back, barefoot. And that's those who are lucky enough to go to school. 
And in the context of stewardship, Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. The ESV puts it like this. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. And as Jesus' disciples, we have, and we have to have an eternal mindset. Because everything I do now echoes, echoes, echoes in eternity. And the thing is, I'm going to have to give an account before God for my stewardship. You personally are going to have to give an account for your stewardship. Now, our parable goes on to speak specifically about money. Verse 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That, that's money. That when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Note that. It's about more than just this life. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? You see how the Lord contrasts money, which is important, right? I mean, ain't, no one ain't, ain't going to say money's, money's not important. But the Lord contrasts money with true riches. Now, if money is important and it's vital, how vital and important are true riches? And evidently, that's talking about spiritual things, right? Who's going to entrust you with the things that are really valuable if you're not being faithful with the thing that's minimally valuable? If you have not been faithful, check it, verse 12, in what is another man's stewardship, because it's not yours, it's somebody else's, right? If you ain't been faithful, who's going to give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money at the same time. Now, we're going to come back to that. Let's apply some of these principles to stewardship in a general sense, especially as we begin to stare membership in the face. First of all, <clears throat> see, this underpins and underlines everything. Everything belongs to who? See, not everything belongs to me. I mean, like, everything is that, that's, that's mine is mine. I think I heard a, a, a joke about, it was Bart Simpson who prayed, and um, at the prayer, he bowed his head, and he said, he said, um, thank you, God, for all of this stuff that I bought. It's actually mine. Amen. Now, that's not the way to pray. And I'm saying, but normally, naturally, we're like, you know what, these things are mine. I work for them. I bought them. They're mine. But you see, as believers... We have to appreciate the, thing, the fact that, you know what, everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. And the New Testament word for stewardship is oikonomia. Oikonomia, from which we derive the word, and it sounds very similar, <clears throat> economy. Economy. This word means management of a household and it refers to the responsibility that is entrusted to a manager. A steward acts as an administrator of the affairs and the, position, and the possessions of another. As Christians, we have been entrusted with a stewardship. The things that we call our own are not really ours, but whose? They're God's. We have no possessions. <laughs> We don't even own ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. 
Or do you not know, and I suspect there are some that don't, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? That is the Holy Spirit and your body. And that you are not your own. I mean, it's one thing hearing this morning, this afternoon, that boy, the things that I own ain't mine. But you ain't yours. He's... Verse 24, you have actually been bought and paid for. You belong to the person that purchased you. <laughs> See, and you have been bought with a price, and it's a very high price. Therefore, understanding and appreciating that, glorify God with your body. According to the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, all of us have been given something, and evidently, God is concerned about our faithfulness in that which he has given us and called us to do. The theme of stewardship ranges from beginning to end, from the contents to the maps, the front to the back flaps. From Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, when God made the man and woman stewards of the garden, all the way to Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22, when God will make his children stewards of the new creation. See, it's a big theme in scripture. Now let's look at three categories to try and understand this further. Let's look at <clears throat> three T's, so it's helpful to remember. Let's look at time, let's look at talent, and let's look at treasure. First of all, time. Each of us have been given enough time to accomplish our God-given purpose on this planet. Each of us has been given enough time to accomplish our God-given purpose on this planet. See, that deals with the whole issue of whether I'm going to live long enough, doesn't it? Because ultimately, God is in control. God owns everything. So he's going to give you all that you need for you to fulfill all of his will. Otherwise, when you stand before him, that wouldn't be fair, would it? Now, that's, now, 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 that's kind of scary. Because that causes you to say, if I've got an allotted amount of time, then I can, can I really afford to waste any of it? Because the thing is, we don't know when the clock's going to stop ticking, right? We don't know when the, when the ref is going to blow the whistle. It's not like 90 minutes. It's like extra time. You know what I'm saying? Back in the day, they had golden goal, where you'd play and play and play until someone scored. You don't know when the whistle's going to get blown unless somebody scores that goal. Time. The scriptures exhort us to invest our time wisely, reminding us that God determines the length of our stay on earth. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 say, look carefully then how you walk, you know. That's synonymous with how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of the time because the days are evil. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, so remember Moses? He said, Lord, my back's creaking and my legs are giving way. Look at me standing up here just about. You see my wife up here earlier trying to hook me up with a chair. Robert, just leave the chair there just in case. I never ever thought the day would come when I'd be concerned about my, my knees giving as I got up the stairs. Or, and that's what, that's, that's what was in Moses' mind in Psalm 90. And he says, Lord, recognize that. It's like, Lord, teach us to number our days in order that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And that's to use our time wisely. See, time is one of the most valuable assets, but without a proper perspective, we will spend it foolishly. A biblical perspective on time involves several things. First of all, and this is not exhaustive, but First of all, life is brief, and we cannot be presumptuous about the future. 
James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15 says, Come now, you, yeah, you who say, you know what, today or tomorrow, based on projections, you know, this is where we expect to be, and today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, we're going to spend a year there, we're going to buy, sell, make a profit, you know how it goes. This is them bankers sitting down with their big Havanas, right? But James says, be careful, verse 14, whereas you do, not, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? For it is, even, it is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You know, like when you boil the kettle, you switch it on and as you hear it whistling and you turn around, right? Get your cup and your spoon and sugar if you take it and the kettle begins to boil. And by the time you turn around to put one spoon of sugar and drop the tea bag in, right, and look back, the steam has disappeared. Well, James says that's what, that's what our lives are like. And especially nowadays, I'm looking out and I see all these young people in here. We got some really, really bad news this week, stuff that I'm, I'm not at liberty to talk about. But suffice to say, young people are dying. And it's getting to the point now, I say getting to the point, every, every young person that dies is related to somebody, but it's getting to the point now where we're seeing young kids that we know die. Pastor Ephraim told me about a young man just last year that we taught in St. Joseph Academy. We remember him running into the classroom, acting a clown with his shirt on and short tie and running joke. They stabbed him to death a year ago. Was it, was, it sta- was it stabbed? They stabbed him to death or did they shoot him, Pastor E? Both. They shot him, they stabbed him, shot him, and then drove over him. How old was he, bruv? 19 years old. See, this, is, this, this becomes even more apparent for you, depending on what age category you live in. It'd be like, we'd be, under normal circumstances, we're supposed to be worrying about grandma and granddad, right? Now it's completely opposite. Verse 15, instead, you see, because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Instead, you ought to say, you know what, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If, my mum used to say back in the day, if the Lord spare my life, I'll see you next Friday. Second thing we need to bear in mind with regard to time is the eternal gives meaning to the temporal. The eternal gives meaning to the temporal. Romans chapter 13 verse 11 says, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. King James, to awake out of slumber. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The eternal gives meaning to the temporal. Third, like other assets, our time is owned by God. Psalm 31, verse 14 and 15 say, But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. The fourth thing, we must be sensitive to opportunities so that we can make the most of them. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 5 says, Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. That's beautiful. And a wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. See, this is Solomon right there. And I mean, put your trust in God. And keep his commandments. And if you walk in the Lord's, Lord's way like that, he will help you to be astute to the times. And he'll help you at every juncture to be able to know what to do. That's beautiful. The fifth thing. Our use of time will reflect our priorities. Our use of our time will reflect our priorities. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19 through 21 says, look, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The Bible's so up to date. <laughs> but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, most time is wasted, not in hours, but in minutes. Yeah, I'll do that, I'll do that. In, in a, how? In a minute. See, if we do not regularly assess the way we spend our 168 hours per week, our schedules will get cluttered with activities that may even be good, but not necessarily best. How do you steward your time? Okay. The second aspect, let's look at talent with regard to our stewardship. We have seen that stewardship in the scriptures always relates to the management of something that does not belong to us but to someone else. Even our talents and special abilities belong to God. We owe nothing that was not first given to us. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says, And what do you have <laughs> that you did not receive? But if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Like you provided that for yourself. See, God has entrusted us with aptitudes and abilities. And as good stewards, we must use them for his glory and not our own. You ain't clever just because you study. You're not good looking and pretty just because you spend an hour in the, in, in the mirror in the morning. You know what I mean? And even if you don't have to spend that time, you're blessed. But you did not do that. You know what I mean? How many of you know? A picture always has a painter. And you know, this principle is true not only of musical artistic, athletic, academic, business, and persuasive talents, but also of the spiritual gifts that we've received. Romans 12 verse 6 says, And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. Peter specifically relates spiritual gifts to the concept of stewardship in 1 Peter 4 verse 10, and he says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. See, this is, a, this is one of our membership um, motifs. See, people be like, you know, where's membership in the Bible? Here's membership in the Bible. Recognizing that you have a gift and it needs to be employed in service of another. This is, the, this is the perfect environment for us to take what we have and see others blessed and benefited through that. Amen? As good stewards, check it, you see our word? As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's the mature believer that says, you know what? I may not be the prettiest, I may not be the fastest, I may not be the best, I may not be the cleverest, but you know what? I'm here. What can I do? What can I give myself to? Faithful stewardship of natural talents and spiritual gifts. It requires that we use them to glorify God and edify others. Our purpose is not to please ourselves, but to serve others. Just like Jesus said, he says, I'm your Lord, right? When nobody wanted to wash the feet. I'm not washing nobody's feet. I've done it yesterday. Why, why is it always me got to wash the feet? Right? Maybe that's what was going through their mind at that time. So Jesus is like, okay, cool. I'll wash the feet. And he's like, oh, I remember Pastor, he done it last, week, last couple of weeks ago. Oh, Lord, no, you can't wash my feet, you know, Lord. In his mind, probably thinking, boy, you know what? Oh, man. Me and my bad mind, I should have just washed the feet, innit? Now Jesus is coming to wash my feet. <laughs> See, Jesus says, you know what? I'm your Lord and I'm your master, right? But check it. I didn't come to be served. See, that's another surprise, isn't it, when you read that? But I came in order to serve others. 
Romans chapter 15, verse 2 to 3a says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to his edification or her, for even Christ did not please himself. Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Another aspect of good stewardship is that we learn to concentrate on things we can do well and not worry about the things that we cannot do. We can get so paralyzed because we want to be doing what they're doing. See, our calling is to be trustworthy with what we've been given. And Jesus, he kills it, doesn't he, in the parable, Matthew 25. You've got one steward that gets a whole heap. Another one that only gets a minimal amount in comparison. But they both get the same reward. Because it ain't about how much and how great and... You know what I'm saying? It's just about being faithful with what you got. You end up getting the same reward. You end up walking off with a bigger trophy than me. And you don't preach. You don't teach. You know what I'm saying? All you do is usher people in really kindly. Oh, welcome. Come in. It's good to see you. And I'm up here, and I'm trying to get your money. I'm up here, and I'm trying to, you know what I'm saying, manipulate you and control you, and no one else don't, can't touch the pulpit apart from me, and... And you end up getting a, a better reward than me. Our calling is to be trustworthy with what we, what we have been given, not with the things that we don't have, and not to envy or covet another person's abilities or ministry. Our abilities come from God, and he has equipped us to fulfill the purpose for which he has called us. We should be able to leave here rejoicing like, wow, Lord, okay. For a minute, I've been getting a bit frustrated because I'm not like the next person. But wow, okay. It's not about me looking at them. Let me see, Lord, what is it you've given me? Like Moses, I hear, I hear Pastor E say it all the time. Moses is like, Lord, what are we going to do? The Lord's like, what do you mean? The Lord's like, Moses, what have you got in your hand? Okay, well, just a rod, fine. We'll work with that. Man picks up that rod and then by the power of God, the Red Sea splits. You know what I mean? God will take your little and make it much. Like the boy who, Lord, how are we going to feed all these people out here? This is nuts. You know what I'm saying? It's like, the, I can't remember which one of the disciples it was, but it was characteristic of that disciple. He was never the, the, the type of disciple to speak to many. You know, it's, I think it was Andrew. What he does is he's always speaking to the individual. And why are they all deliberating on, this is nuts. How on earth are we going to feed all these people out here? You got, how much you got? How much you, well, even if we put it all together and multiply it by 10, we ain't got enough. And Andrew's over there and he finds a little boy and he brings him over. And the little boy has a couple of loaves and a few fishes. But, but Jesus takes it and he multiplies it. He makes that little much. See, all the chief executives, like the rest of the disciples, they can't figure it out. But someone who says, you know what, maybe it may, it may not take a lot. Jesus, Jesus is here with us. And because Jesus is here with us, anything is possible. You can be greatly encouraged with your little. I, I remember back in the day, not to eat up the time, I remember back in the day, I was, I was always the guy that was picked on at school. I was always the guy that was teased. I was always the guy that was sidelined. Always the last person to get picked for the football. That was me up until the time I was about 17. You know what I mean? And when I got saved, when Jesus saved me, I knew that at last I'd come home. You know what I mean? And I was never going to be treated like that again. You know what I mean? Jesus made me special. And, it, and, he, and he's taken my little bit and he's made much because I never, ever dreamed I've said it before, I could roll over right now and die and I'd be the happiest man in the world because when I look back on the last 20 years, it's been incredible. You know what I mean? 
And that's what Jesus has done with my life. And, and, and I hope, because my Pastor Eve, myself and Pastor P, we feel, like, we feel like David. We know that God has called us, and we've seen the Lord slay a, a, a lion and a, and a bear and, and, and a giant here and there in our lives. But we look around here, and we see guys that are much more than we are. You know what I mean? Like David and his, and his, and his, and his mighty men. Guys who could hit a blade of grass from 100 feet with the right or the left hand. I mean, these guys were mighty. I mean, David was heavy. But these brothers, and I mean, and when we look around and we say, Lord, wow. And that's the Lord taking our little bit. And look, he's beginning to make it much. And I mean, but that wouldn't happen unless we were prepared to make that sacrifice. Pastor Anthony coming from California, sunny California. I mean, if I, could, I could end right there, right? <laughs> him and his family and the rest of the team and, and I know the Lord is already doing good things over there but they're laying down their lives they're seeing that as nothing and they're coming over here why? in obedience to the Lord just like Pastor Brian came over 14 years ago and we was in a bad church and we walked in there and it was like we couldn't believe it and from that point the Lord begin to work or I should say really continue to work because the Lord is faithful in our lives but then our lives just took a like a like, 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 like a spacecraft that goes into time into time warp like warp speed you know what I mean and again because someone else was willing to sacrifice all that they had in order to see others benefited now where am I <laughs> Philippians 2 God has equipped us to fulfill his prayer. Now, bang in verse, check it. Ephesians 2. This one, this, I think last year, this was kind of my verse for the year. Every email I sent, every text, Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, not for bad works, for good works, which God prepared beforehand. <laughs> and all my reformed brothers and sisters in who are here <laughs> say amen you know in our church we've got a great mix of people and um maybe this is not something to get into right now anyway um yeah but yeah we got a great mix of people and it's fantastic and we um, and we're all functioning together in love and it's wonderful it's beautiful man and it's because of this that God has prepared beforehand works that we should walk in. It's like you should be greatly encouraged by the fact that your life ain't an accident. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, you might be here for the first time. And that's all you've been getting for your whole life. And you look at, Unlike me, you might not be able to look back on, on your life and think, hey, that's wonderful. You might look back and see like a train wreck, like a disaster in your, in, in your wake. But be encouraged that God owns everything, including you and his purpose for your life. And from this day, you don't have to continue to have a blank CV. You don't have to continue to have bad memories of the past. You don't have to continue to have a chip on your shoulder where you feel like everybody owes you something. And I mean, you can be in that place where, you know what? God has created me. And by his own admission, by God's own word, he's got a purpose for me that was prepared before I was even born, before you were even born. How, how encouraging is that? That's something, you know what I'm saying, for you to hold on to and begin to live your life by. Each of us has an area of influence, whether large or small, and a specific ministry that the Lord has placed in our care. Regardless of what we've been given, every stewardship we need to realize is going to be tested, as I said earlier, by the same standard. And this is the standard. It's not the size of our ministry that counts, it's faithfulness. 
It's what we do with what we've been entrusted. Now, quickly, I said I was going to come back to it, didn't I? Treasure. I'm only going to touch on this as it relates to us as a fellowship in a real practical sense. Check it. While the Bible has about 500 verses on prayer, right? Now, that's a lot, right? We know that prayer is a big theme in the Bible. Over 500 verses on prayer. And nearly, right, fewer than 500 verses on faith. That's a lot. Guess what? In contrast, there are over 2,000 300 biblical verses that deal with money and possessions. Without apology, our Lord said more about money than he did about any other subject. Now that's probably one of the only true things that the prosperity preachers say. (laughs) And not only has he said that much about money, it tops Everything that you see in that left, in that right hand box, right, prayer and faith, it tops even when you include heaven and hell, all that he said about all of those issues. And you know, these are talking about big, big, big doctrines, you know what I'm saying, of the faith. And check it. Over 10% of the New Testament, right, relates directly to financial matters. Why is there such an emphasis on this topic? Well, one reason is that God knew we would have trouble managing our money. And we would spend a great amount of time earning, spending, and investing it. A second reason is that money has a profound effect on our interpersonal relationships. Can I get a witness? Many people spend so much of their time thinking about money. And financial difficulties are a major cause of marital conflict and divorce. A third reason is that the way we use our money is a real measure of our commitment to Christ. Scripture relates money to the love of God. 1 John verse 3, verse 17 says, But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? We went to Jamaica over, over the past few years, we, we began doing the mission trips to Jamaica, and I tell you, that's the thing that it broke our heart. We went there to share the gospel, and we go there to share the gospel, and by the grace of God, we will move there to share the gospel. But we couldn't share it and not recognize just the dire need that the people are in. And I'm hoping that, you know, we're hoping when it comes to mission that there are going to be others that are going to be raised up that are going to go to some of the other Caribbean islands that are reflected in our community. Now, just because you're from Trinidad don't mean that you need to go to Trinidad. But if you're here and you're from Africa, I hope the Lord is laying on your heart at least some sort of way to help and benefit the people that are there. For those of us that are here and from Europe, you know, my wife is, her mom's from, from Spain, from Gibraltar. And it's like, I don't know. But I hope that the Lord is laying on your heart a, a desire for missions and to see those who don't have begin to be benefited in some way. We can assume an, a, an appearance of spirituality in prayer, in Christian service and Bible knowledge, but we cannot fake the way we use our money and possessions. Our wallet reveals more about our character and walk with the Lord than we may think. Okay, now to to some practical ways of applying this in the context of the local church. Now now remember, for the six years that that we planted this church, for those of you that have been here that long, and for those of you that have just come, this is the first time that we've ever begun to talk about money in a direct sense. The first time. So, and those of you that know us, you know that we're not trying to get your money. You know that, right? But how can we neglect this when it's such a weighty issue, right? Here is a rough outline of our finances as a church. This is year-end in June 2009. We haven't come to the end of the 
financial year, our budgeting year as yet, so this is last year. And <clears throat> our income as a church, <laughs> drum roll please. <laughs> our total giving, right, for 2009 was 24,000 pounds, right? And with regard to gift aid, we were able to claim back just under £4,000. Now, you might say gift aid and claim back. What's that all about? If you give to this church and have signed a gift aid declaration form, we can claim back from the government 20% of the tax that you've already paid. It's not coming out of your money. Let me explain. How gift aid works. The gift aid scheme is for gifts or money by um, gifts or money by individuals who pay UK tax. Charities take your donation, like us, which is money you've already paid tax on, and reclaim the basic rate tax from HMRSC. Basic rate tax is 20%. So this means that if you give £10 using gift aid, it's worth £12.50 to us as a church the charity. For donations between 6th of April 2008 and 5th of April 2011, the charity will also get a separate government supplement of three pence on every pound that you give. Now, how to make a donation using gift aid? In order to make a gift aid donation, you need to make a gift aid declaration. It's just a piece of paper that you've got to fill out. The charity will normally ask you to complete a simple form. Um, one form can cover every... Can you the Toyota V173GTN commonly remove this car immediately and it go to my next meeting. Thank you. Toyota V173GTN. Thanks. No problem. Toyota V-Ridge. Okay. Now... Now the charity, the charity will normally ask you to complete a simple form. One form can cover every gift made to the same charity for whatever period you choose and can cover gifts that you have already made and gifts you may make in the future. See, this is good stewardship. You know what I mean? We can go back if you've it's given by check. We can go back and we can claim um, the tax back on that money that you've already given. A gift aid declaration must include your full name, home address, name of the charity, and details of your donation. And it should say that it's a gift aid donation. Real simple. It's good stewardship. Now, five more minutes. That's gift aid. That's, so that money we were able to claim back on those that have filled, it, filled out a gift aid form. CD sales, £326. Book sales, £551. Missions trip, as a church, we, we, we contributed £1,250 to missions, coming to a total. Now, there's some other bits and pieces in there that I haven't listed. Roughly £30,000. Now, look at our expenditure for last year. Now, I thought I'd put the big one first. Guess what the big one is? Hall rental. Guess how much? £18,800. That's how much we pay for charter. Over 400 pounds a week for what, four hours? Children's ministry, we spent 539 pounds. Outreach, spent over a grand. Mission to Romania, because that was that last year, 2008-2009. We contributed nearly 3,000 pounds to the mission to Romania. And refreshments, and again, there's other bits and pieces in there. That's 1,000 pounds for refreshments. But just to kind of keep it simple. Now, have a good look at these figures. It's our expenditure. Thank the Lord, we're in the black. <laughs> we're not in the red. Do you know, as a church, we've never been in the red. We've never owed money. With Charter, we got, I think we got about three months worth of money in the bank that they still yet to take. The Lord is so gracious. And when it gets right to the wire, the Lord provides somehow. You know what I'm saying? But have a look at that. Now, this is what I want to say to us as a church. Watch this. 
if we had, right, and this sounds like one of the prosperity things, but like I said, you know us, so it's not about that. But if we had 100 people, and I think we've got probably about 100, and between 130 and 150 people that attend, if we had 100 people give £10 per week, right, it would double our total giving figure. £10 a week, that's £40 a month, right? Now that's the total giving figure up there. That would double if 100 people gave just £10 a week. This is what it would look like. Now, if we were to double that, which may or may not be um, difficult for some, it may be for some, but may not be for others, if we were to double that to £20 a week, which is £80 a month, which I suspect is probably less than 10% for, probably for most people. If we were to double that, look how that would affect us as a church. 20 pounds per week, 100 people would total 96,000 pounds a week. And, you know, we didn't want you to sign up for membership. Remember, we're in a process of establishing membership here. We didn't want you to sign up for membership and then it seems like, boom, we're trying to trap you. Okay, now that you're a member, huh, we need to talk about money. Notice, we're doing it before you sign up. Right? In all fairness, as I mentioned, this is the first time we're going to talk about money. Now, we have to begin talking like this because we're growing. And we need a building. You know what I mean? We've been talking about that. Am I lying? We need a church office, and we need office space. The forms that you're going to give in today are sensitive. We need to be careful with that material, but you know what? It's going to go in a filing cabinet in one of the pastor's homes. Because we don't have an office now. Do we need to have an office to be a church? No. We've been functioning for six years, by the grace of God. But if we want to step up the levels, you know what I mean? If we want to do things properly, decently and orderly, like Pastor E said last week, I'm saying we need staff. We're dying. <laughs> We're having to go to membership as one of the reasons because we tend to take on too much. I mean, it's not one pastor here. We've got three pastors and we're probably 150 people and it's like the workload is really heavy. And um, we need an administrator. We've been praying about it. We've spoken to the trustees at the last two meetings about having an administrator. And we've got someone filling in at the minute. But we need to be able to get someone to do that and pay them to do that. It's not unrighteous. And I'm saying, you know, we need a proper website. Oh, goodness. I hate to talk about the website, personally. <laughs> not because I have a problem with the person that's doing it, because it's me that does it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'm not hating on anyone but myself. Now, these things do not become reality in the absence of finance. May the Lord help us to be not only hearers, but doers of his word. You know, and not just this morning, this afternoon, but as a lifestyle. You know, John chapter 12, verse 26 says, If anyone serves me, says Jesus, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, isn't that beautiful? And what with membership being implemented... We are really going to be challenging and encouraging you with regard to your time, your talent, and your treasure. We've got some good times ahead. Amen? Let's pray, and then I'm going to ask the ushers to begin to take up the offering, only because we wanted to use it like in children's ministry. You know what I'm saying? We talked about it. If we talk about repentance, we encourage people to come up the front so we can pray with them. You know what I'm saying? We're talking about money. We've left the offering to this point just so that you can kind of prayerfully sit and think about it. It will help you to appreciate this message a little bit more. And as the ushers are getting ready to take up the offering, we're not, let me just say this before we even hand the stuff out, we are not asking you to empty your pockets. That's not the purpose. I remember going to a Kenneth Copeland meeting where they encouraged us to empty our pockets and we had to walk home because we never had no bus fare. Because we were manipulated into giving. 
You know what I'm saying? They had, you know what, they never collected it in little baskets like ours. They had, you know them wheelie dustbins? The big ones. That's what they were collecting in. And they filled them up. So we're not asking you to do that. And then also we have um, the gift aid declaration forms that I mentioned. They're going to be at the front. You can grab one of them if you would like to on your way out. So we're just asking you to prayerfully exercise just the practice of giving. And you know, this is for me too. This is for me too. Because I've been shabby in my giving, I, I have to admit. You know what I mean? I've not been consistent in my giving. So may God forgive me and help me, you know what I mean, to be more faithful in that sense. Um, I'm going to ask, yeah, if you guys can go ahead and do that. Is that cool? All right. Are you waiting on me or have you already started? You probably already started. <clears throat> and in a minute, I'm going to ask Pastor E to come up because... He's going to come up and share some important information with us. Now, as the bags them are going around, what I'd like to do is, can I just pause you? And hopefully, the bag is in the hand of someone who is a believer. Because <laughs> I want to pray. Let's pray. I'm going to make it short. Pray my eyes open. <laughs> Lord. Lord, 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 Lord. Father, we thank you. Father, what would it look like to be stewards who serve Jesus? What would it look like, Father, if we were stewards who would follow Jesus? What would it look like, Father, if in response to exactly what Jesus said, Father, that as we served you, you would honor us? How wonderful is that, Lord? Think about what Jim Elliot said, Father. He's no fool who gives away that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. Father, and that's not just about money. It's about definitely our time and also our talent, but then also including our money. So, Lord, please move on our hearts, not just this afternoon, because we're not aiming and hoping to get a big offering. Lord, we're asking that you would affect our hearts with regard to these issues so that we will be individuals that would serve you. Because Lord, what would it look like for you to imagine you honouring us? Honour your word today, I pray, Father. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, amen.